You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. The Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network is brought to you by lacrosse boots lacrosse has been a big supporter of the sportsman's nation and they have come out with a new lineup of boots and that lineup is the navigator series i wore the navigator series all through november most of the summer doing all of my scouting and all of my tree stand prep shed hunting this boot is a one-stop shop and the cool thing about it it's waterproof just like all the other lacrosse boots very comfortable, very easy to break in, and it's one of those boots that it's almost like the perfect mix between a rubber boot and a hiking boot, and I think it's a one-stop shop boot for anybody who wants, you know, a one-stop shop boot. Pretty, pretty simple. So if you want to find out more information about the rubber boots that lacrosse makes, the Navigator series that lacrosse makes, and the new boots that are coming out in 2020, Go to lacrossefootwear.com. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast brought to you by Vortex Optics. Today, we are joined by Joe Sturba. He is a fellow Iowan, and this is a Hunter Profile podcast. Now, before you all of a sudden say, well, it's another guy from Iowa, just chill out, relax. Uh, This is a different kind of Hunter Profile podcast. Uh, We're going to be talking about how Joe kind of got into hunting. He got into hunting fairly late. He was somewhat introduced to uh, the outdoors through fishing with his dad. But his dad, like all fathers, I feel, like especially in the middle class, worked a lot. And the opportunity to go do fun things maybe just didn't happen as much as everyone would like. That's where Joe's uncle steps in and uh, invites him up to a farm in northeast Iowa to go muzzleloader hunting. And uh, Joe's uncle kind of showed him the ropes for a handful of years until Joe kind of stepped away from hunting uh, because of sports and girls and, you know, the typical teenage, uh, you know, the teenage, teenage years, so to speak. And then life happens and Joe kind of steps into bow hunting in 2012. 
And this podcast, he talks about how excited he was to start bow hunting. Uh, He talks about the public land in Iowa that he hunts. He talks about the balance between hunting and his wife and children. And just an overall awesome podcast. Uh, and, And this is really relatable because I think we can all kind of, you know, relate to the the excitement of the hunting season but at the same time the realities at home we wish we could go out and hunt every single day of the season but you know life again happens and that's where we have to you know really be careful and pick the best possible balance for us now before we get into today's episode we have a new partner And the new partner is the Average Conservationist. And what is the Average Conservationist? The Average Conservationist is an apparel company. Right now they make hooded sweatshirts, hats, and t-shirt just with their logo on it. But here's the kicker. These guys donate 10% of all of their profits to organizations like the QDMA, uh, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. They pick... A, uh, an organization every once in a while and they give 10% of their profits to that organization. Uh, so it is, it's really cool to see a company like the Average Conservation, you know, leading by example, at the Average Conservationist, excuse me, leading by example and they are going above and beyond and giving straight up 10%. So when when these guys reached out to me and kind of said, Hey, you know, we would love to partner with you. You know, if it was just another apparel company, I would have been like, eh, maybe it didn't fit, whatever. But the fact that these guys are walking the walk and donating 10% of their profits to conservation, um, it, for me, it was like a no brainer to partner with these guys. So if you want to find out more information about the company and the uh, t-shirts that these guys make, I want to make sure I give you the right one here real quick. Uh, I should, should have been prepared for this, but I'm typing it in to my computer right now. God damn it. I should have... Uh, prepped but I'm too lazy to stop average here it is average conservationist just want to make sure okay it's www.theaverageconservationist.com theaverageconservationist.com and you're going to find all their gear you know all their gear there so check it out really cool logo really cool uh, gear and uh, look for their their founder to be on the podcast with me in uh, within the next couple months and he's going to break down everything that these guys do so there's that uh, average conservationist now that was a long way of saying let's get into today's podcast with my man joe from iowa on this hunter profile episode all right on the phone with me right now fellow iowan joe sturba joe what's up man hey dan how's it going man can't good com- to talk to you yeah man you too i know we've tried con- to connect for a while now um i think one of the first messages i've ever received from someone you know reaching out and commenting on the podcast or the sportsman's nation or whatever was you so I appreciate you listening from like day one, man. Hey, man, that's no problem. Uh, 
you know, I kind of, I got turned on to you from, uh, you know, from listening to Wired to Hunt, and then, uh, you know, I was kind of a fan of the commentary there, the content you guys were bringing. So, you know, when I finally, you know, when you were talking about Nine Finger Chronicles, I got interested, then, you know, I, I went on over there, and, uh, you know, I've pretty much been a diehard listener since. So. <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. I'm just some dummy who talks into a microphone, really. That's all it is. <laughs> anybody, literally anybody could do what I do. Oh, I don't know about that, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I wanna—I like having a, another fellow Iowan on. I—I uh, I do every once in a while have some guys from Iowa on, but uh, you actually, of all the guests, hunt as close to me as just about any other guests that you know we've had you know we've had a couple other guys who i know locally who are who are on there but uh you actually work in my hometown why don't you tell everybody what you do for a living all right so uh you know so like you said i live here in iowa and uh work in manufacturing i'm a production supervisor so long days long weeks no stranger to that right but you got to tell everybody what you what you manufacture because i feel that's a very interesting product I mean, I think so. Uh, fireplaces, you know, hearth products. Right. So, right. So. Yep. yep. I mean, uh, you know, things that things that keep you warm or they're nice to look at. Yeah. So. Well, I tell you what. Right now, I'll be honest. I wish I had a fireplace in my house because. <laughs> As do I. Here in Iowa, I don't. I don't know what the temp, the high got today, but I don't see it got past ten. Yeah, I think that's about where it got to. At least where I'm, you know, at over here is about nine or ten. So gotcha. really warm, you know. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So I just kind of want to do one of these podcasts where we literally talk about everything and nothing all at the same time. And that uh, sounds good. And I think those turn out to be the best, uh, the best episodes. So right off the bat, I kind of want to go all the way back to as far as you can remember. And it doesn't have to be a deer hunting memory, but I want you to talk about your first outdoor memory that you can remember okay yeah so uh, as far as the hunting that you know i guess started a little later but uh, i would say you know my first outdoor memory would probably have to be uh there was a couple of times that i think that my dad he took us out fishing you know when i was a kid uh probably nine or ten um you know maybe just a couple times in there you know the man worked two to three jobs so uh we didn't see him a whole heck of a lot but uh you know he took us out fishing there a couple of times and you know of course that was a big hit right kids love fishing yeah so um you know enjoyed that um really didn't have a whole lot of you know outdoor i don't want to say opportunities but you know chances to you really get exposed to the outdoors uh through my teens uh you know my uncle um actually did some guiding in alaska uh he had a plane the whole nine yards uh he was up there for like 10 years and uh, he moved back to Iowa, um, maybe late '90s, and uh, I think it was the year it was 2000. I was 15, and he called me and said, and he was a big hunter, you know. I mean, right. the guy had every mount that anything that you could think of in his home. And uh, he called me and said, "Hey, you know, I've got uh, some, you know, some properties that I hunt up here, and if you be if you be interested, you know, you could come up here and hunt with me." And I, you know, I thought that sounded awesome just because, you know, I don't know, six years five, six years earlier, you know, just the very little time I'd spent outdoors, I liked it. So that was yeah. really my first kick off to hunting was right. when I was 15. So, so. your old man uh, 
was was really working a lot. Sounds like just like a lot of you know a lot of the middle class man. I think is exactly what you were going through. I mean, that was the same thing that really you know like my life. I mean, I didn't really get into to hunting like hardcore hunting like what I'm doing now until I was later. But we always had every once in a while we would go fishing, even if it was just a worm and a bobber. We did a lot of camping, but it was one of those, it was, it was a few and far between. I say a lot, but it, it wasn't every weekend. It was, but I, I say a lot because it played a huge, like camping and hiking and just being outside played a huge role in my life just to, to love being outside. Is that, like kind of what happened with your dad uh, taking you fishing not a lot but it made a big impact absolutely man uh you know to your point you know about the blue collar uh you know blue collar sector i mean that's uh you know certainly the case you know my mom she was staying home uh with us you know trying to make things happen there until my old man you know he he uh was doing three jobs and so you know what very you know what little time we did see him you know it was it was uh quality you know so uh the times you know i i do remember there was a couple times we got to go on a camp out um you know and that was a big deal you know i mean yeah. even though you know i like fishing now it's maybe not you know what what really floats my boat but it still was uh you know kind of you know to your point it would you know it really did spark something there right. i mean i didn't really enjoy being outside so. right right cool so so then did when you started getting into uh, i guess middle school and high school did the did the did that slow down a bit and more, there was more focus on sports yeah, absolutely uh so it was kind of it was kind of different here because as you're well aware you know here in iowa so we have you know, the Orange Army mentality, large, yep. you know, not to disparage anyone, just saying, you know, that's how we operate here a lot. of That's what deer season is So, for a lot of folks. So I kind of grew up, you know, a lot of my friends did that, you know, the deer drives and, and such. And uh, I just was never really that interested in that. And so I ended up being more of a, you know, a thing to your point where I focused more on, you know, basketball and things like that. Uh, and I kind of, you know, I just wasn't really – I guess I just never really got the interest to kind of go out in a group of people and I never really put that much thought in it past that, you know, up until, you know, my uncle contacted me. Okay. So your uncle reached out to you and said, Hey man, um, I got some property, uh, around, around here or wherever he came back to and said, Hey, would you be interested in hunting? Was that, uh, was that something that really sparked your interest right away or were you just kind of like, well, okay, cool. I'm like, thanks. But you know, I play football or no, play basketball. Oh no, man. I was very excited from the get go. Uh, just because, you know, I'd always seen, I mean, the man was so successful, uh, at, I mean, at killing everything that you could hunt, you know? So when he told me that and I knew, you know, he lived up in uh, Northeast Iowa, you know, up close to Wisconsin border there. And, uh, and, you know, I'd, I'd seen a lot of the deer that he'd taken, even in the few years that he'd been back. And, uh, you know, he had a pretty good way with people, and he would just go and knock on doors. And he had since moved. He, You know, he started out with a compound, and then he actually moved down to shooting a, a longbow, um, you know, because it was a little more challenging for him, which I still laugh at because <laughs> I'm not there. But, but, uh, but you know, he, he said, hey, you know, I always muzzle load. 
and uh, you know, if you'd be interested, there's a few properties I hunt that I have stands on, and if you wanted to try out, you know, muzzleloading, or if you want to get one. So I said, yeah, 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 you know, I'll, I'll get a muzzleloader, you know, because I wanted to be all big time and get a gun. Yeah. So I got a muzzleloader, and that ended up not too much working out, which is a funny story, but it, it just, uh, you know, I was certainly all about it once he once he put it out there too. So did you did you used to live up in northeast Iowa then? No, no. I've lived, uh, you know, here in the southeast area pretty much, you know, my entire life. Okay. So, so then when he got so that. I live about two and a half hours from me. Okay. So, so when you would go up there, uh, 15, 16 years old, did you drive yourself or did your I folks, did drive. You drove yourself. Once I drove and then once I think my dad, my dad uh, took me up and then, you know, he came back up a few days later and snagged me. Okay. But then the other time I drove up alone. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, um, he drove, he, he drove all that way just so you could have an opportunity to go hunt with your uncle. That is correct. Okay. That is correct. That was pretty boss of him. Yeah. So, so were, were you a bow hunter right from the bat or did you end up easing your way in through shotgun or muzzleloader? Uh, I, I haven't, you know, 2012 was my first, uh, season bow hunting. Um, okay. I, I, you know, that first year he got me in with a muzzleloader and I kind of fell in love with the white smoke, you know? Right. And, uh, I, this year is the first year I've ever killed a deer with a shotgun. Uh, I, I've just always muzzleloaded. And then, you know, in 12, I, I picked up the, you know, a friend bought me a bow. So then I, I got sucked into that and then, right. you know, it's been a whirlwind since then. Let's talk about being introduced in through a muzzleloader because that's, uh, that's almost the first time of me hearing that as a, a weapon um, because most of the time you either hear people were introduced to bow hunting first or it was shotgun first, then bow hunting, and then muzzleloader. Uh, what was yeah. it, What was that introduction into muzzleloading right off the gate like? Well, I mean, it was kind of interesting, you know, because I knew quite a bit about guns. I mean, my dad was a former, you know, he's a former Marine, and there was guns around, and, you know, we shot guns as kids a little bit. And uh, so it was kind of a different thing, you know, 15-year-old learning to, you know, how a muzzleloader works and, you know, all that and the cleaning of it. And uh, and then, you know, my uncle, he was pretty serious about it. Uh, he wanted to have fun, but he wanted to be really, you know, respectful of your firearm and respectful of the game. So he, you know, he told me, you know, it, was, it always cracked me up. Uh, you know, he's no longer with us, but he would always tell me, you know, hey, every time this gun is fired, it's killed a deer. So you got a lot to live up to there, you know. So he would kind of, <laughs> I'm like, no pressure, you know. So, but but uh, but yeah, you know, it was just different. Um, you know, kind of just he always drilled me like, you know, you've really got to take your time and wait for that right shot because that's going to be it. You will not get a second one and that type thing. And, you know, so just trying to learn like the shot placement and right place, right time and stuff like that. So and. He kind of ruined me a little bit, I'll say, for some of the shotgunning. I think that's why this year, you know, granted it wasn't party hunting, but it almost just feels weird to me to deer hunt with a shotgun just because he kind of, you know, he didn't really have a lot of use for it. So yeah. he'd kind of tell me, like, you know, you're just going to go out there and scare him with the rest of those guys. Is that what you're going to do? And I'd say, no, no, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, you know, early 2000s late you know late 90s when you were introduced how long did that tradition last from the time you know 
when you were first introduced, did you go up there every single muzzleloader season? Like, was it, did you start off by going early season or did you go late season? Yeah, so what I did uh, that year, that was an early muzzleloader hunt. And, uh, you know, I was fortunate there. I took, you know, I never had a chance because I, I took a, a deer that ended up having 14 points and I didn't even know at the time. So I got really hooked in, you know, and then uh, after that, you know, he got diagnosed with, uh, you know, with cancer. Okay. So, uh, so the next year it kind of, you know, it wasn't a thing where I wanted to ask him about it again. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, so I ended up just getting a gun and then I started going early muzzleloader down here, you know, where I live. Okay. So and I did that for a few years. Okay. So, so your, your uncle though, it sounds like he just straight up lit the fire. Uh, oh, for real. Yeah, definitely. So he, definitely. he invited you up to his place for, it was just one year and you cracked a 14 pointer. Like was yeah. it a giant? <laughs> Uh, I, I mean, it's on my wall. I mean, to me, as a 15-year-old kid, I thought it was, you know, the biggest year ever. I mean, it, it's probably, you know, I mean, I, I guess I don't I don't really care much about deductions. It's right. maybe, you know, 130s, maybe 140, okay. you know. But at the time, I mean, it was like it's got crab claws. It's real gnarly and yeah. all this stuff. So, Any, you know. It was good enough to get a 15-year-old kid hooked. Oh, absolutely. I was shaking, yeah. He's and he he made sure I had a quality experience. I almost feel like that it was intentional, you know, in some way that he was passing it on to me because his sons at the time were not necessarily big into hunting, and uh, I think he wanted to share it. So he put me in a spot where I think he knew I'd see a lot of deer, and you know, I just I saw brown, I saw antlers, and then I put the scope, you know, I threw the gun up, I saw hair. You know, and I thought I'm on the deer that I I want to shoot, and I just pulled the trigger. You know, and uh, smoke cleared, and there the deer lay. You know, wow. so I just I was, I don't know. It took me a long time for I could get down out of that tree stand. Of course, <laughs> I'm a little afraid of heights anyway. Sometimes. So. <laughs> so you were shaking in your boots after you pulled the trigger. Yeah, absolutely. On the, yeah, that's awesome, and it's good. Yeah, it's good. You know, because I don't. I, I feel like uh, when every hunter has a progression from when they start to when they hit a point where they become 100% selfless in, in the sport of hunting. It, it becomes more about passing it on and helping others enjoy it. And that's how they get their enjoyment. So for example, me like turkey hunting, I love to turkey hunt, but it's not one of those things where it gets me jacked up as, um, deer hunting does so i absolutely love taking other people out like taking my um you know taking my wife out i think this year i'm going to take my father-in-law he's knocking on 70 and he's never been turkey hunting before so i said yeah so i'm gonna i think i might be taking him hunting this year and then i'm trying to think uh i've taken a i've had a couple mentored hunts back in the day brought uh one, like so my ex-girlfriend's nephew out one time and uh he he's now a hardcore turkey hunter and um all awesome. this yeah so uh like i like turkey hunting but i don't care if i kill you know i just want to share that experience yeah. with other people just because i have the opportunity to do it and in i don't know where you're at in the, your whitetail lineup but like in 2006, I just jumped off the deep end again. You know, I went back into a hardcore bow hunting state of mind. 
hunted as many days as I possibly could chasing, you know, whatever was out there. Then I hit a point where I'm just like, okay, I got kids. I got to calm down and I got to be selective. And I, it all became about educate, educating myself and becoming a better hunter, right? Whether that was making sure the wind's right, biding my time, knowing that, Hey, if I blow a weekend in October, I'm probably not going to get that time back in November. So, you know, why not just save, you know, save it for the, save the timber time for the best time of the year, which is typically November. And now I'm getting to a point now where, you know, I've had four good years in a row and I really want to, you know, I guess be selective, you know, choose my own experience. And I think I'm just knocking on the door of really focusing on other people now when it comes to deer hunting. Um, I don't know where where are you at in this whole whole lineup? Yeah, so uh and also I I did see that uh that your wife got a bird this spring. I thought that was pretty neat. Yeah, she um, did. I thought yeah, I thought that whole deal was pretty neat. So congratulations on that. That's a pretty great thing I think when you get family. Um so yeah, so I've taken uh so I my wife had a son when we when we married and uh I was able to get him a couple of deer off of public deer in youth season uh, here a few years back. Uh, so, I, you know, I really enjoyed doing that, um, you know, when he was 9 or 10. Uh, and then uh, here are these last, I don't know, I, I really feel kind of in my core, you know, what you're saying there about passing it on. Cause this last year, year, year and a half, um, I've been taking a lot more time and answering questions and helping people and reaching out to folks. Uh, there was a couple of guys that I, you know, physically helped um you know walk properties and hang tree stands this year several people have reached out to me with questions and things like that and i've been trying to take a bigger you know um i don't know you know i play a bigger part than just you know i'm going to go out and punch my tag right you know because you know to your point i do feel like that that's it's more rewarding you know first of all i mean it feels great when you can help somebody else at least you know get an opportunity in an animal and you know it, it helps the sport you right. know so that way we can continue to you know we can continue to do what we love absolutely so i you know i'm, I'm definitely in the point I, I think i i physically walked a couple of people to their you know to their trees this year uh you know and then you know back back out and kind of talking through stuff and i don't know i guess i feel like i'm you know i'm 50 50 on that ride really yeah so yeah i tell you what in hunting if you didn't grow up in a household and like i didn't grow up in a household that i had someone who was a hardcore hunter right i i grew up in a house where i you know i i dabbled in it a little bit i went to high school sports and girls went to college just basically <laughs> just basically girls and then and booze and then it was boom I, you know, 2006 hit and that's when I really started that transition into it. And you realize that unless you have had a mentor, it, I feel like sometimes bow hunting specifically is a really selfish activity if you want to do it right. And what I mean by that yep. is like, it certainly can't be. yeah, I, I think I've chosen the path of being kind of selfish and just acknowledging that I love it. But at the same time, I realize, you know, it's hard for me to go out and sit in a tree stand and not, 
I don't know, put pressure on myself because I know that right now at home, my wife has three crazy kids and they're testing her stress limits <laughs> every, every <laughs> single day while, while I'm out there doing, uh, you know, doing what I love. So I, I, yeah. I am so excited. I know I'm talking a lot in this, but I am so excited to get no, my kids out and start the, you know, start that journey because I think that's going to, like you said, be equally, uh, equally as rewarding. So yeah, did, are, are the, is your son, your stepson now is, is he into it or is he into the, the sports girls type of vibe? Uh, yeah. So more so the latter there, you know, yeah. um, he, he was die hard there. And then, uh, you know, he hit uh 13, 14, right. And then, you know, the, the teenage, you know, that phase. And so right now he's, he's dialed in on his, you know, his sports and, and all that. So yeah. I, I, I feel pretty confident that he'll come back around to it. Cause you know, he, he got some pretty quality experiences there. So I, I do feel that, you know, it'll be coming back, but, uh, right. But, you know, to your point, if I could throw in about it being a selfish thing. So the first year I know that, uh, we were married. So, you know, before we had the three boys there, it, uh, I hunted, I remember, so we got married in, in, uh, in July and rolling into October, you know, that was, that was my, I was getting ready to roll into my second season of bow hunting. And I, I feel like I just killed it on my first season. So I was pretty pumped, you know? So I hunted 32 times that first year, like sits. Yeah. And, uh, so I, <laughs> we laugh about it now. But I like really almost caused myself some irreparable damage. That's <laughs> <laughs> so, like newly married. I I was gone thirty two, you know. So if right. you figure three hours of stint, like it got a little carried away. So right. certainly to your point, you know, it's like with all the, you know, all the wild men there at home. You know, it's yeah. like one of those things. Where, to your point, you got to be a little more tactful when you can. Yeah. So. so let me ask you this: When you hunted that thirty two days, you know, uh, in that season. And you knew that your your wife was stressed at home. Did it? Did you did you feel that you had blinders on, or, or when did you recognize that she was pissed at you about hunting so much? Honestly, Dan, that would have been in the springtime. I mean, really, because I was so dialed in that uh, you know I was already you know I was consuming everything I could get my hands on from podcasts, reading every article. I was hunting every available opportunity. I'd get home from, I'd take my stuff, go right from work to the woods, come right from the woods home, shower, eat, go to sleep, yeah. rinse and repeat the next day. So, you know, I was just consumed with trying to, you know, get the hours in so I could improve, you know, so I could learn and make the mistakes I needed to make to improve. So I, I honestly feel like it was probably, you know, late, late March, April, we really start talking, you know, and this, this led to that. And it's kind of like, wow, you know, I was really, <laughs> I really just finally got unplugged a couple months there after the season. Yeah. So, so you, you, it's like you were, had blinders on, right? Oh, yes, sir. Yeah. Absolutely. So how did that communication with your wife then transition into what you were doing that next year? Cause I, I feel like you didn't hunt 32 uh, days that next year I did not <laughs> um, so you know it's, I, I feel like every year you know you kind of touched on it earlier 
Um, but I feel like every year, you know, and, and part of it is, is, you know, as we go along in the journey, right, we learn more. So therefore, you know, we don't, we don't hunt as much because we're hunting a little smarter each year, right. Or right. each time or, right. you know, so I feel like I've paired it back, um, you know, each year a little bit more to where this last season, I felt like I hunted a lot, but whereas I get three day weekends quite often this fall, I would take one day each weekend and I would completely block and say, nope, this is a family time. Okay. Uh, even if I'm like, hey, I still am holding the tag, it would only be a day and a half or at maximum, you know, on the hot days, right? Sweet November, maybe two days right. straight. And I would say, nope, I got to go home and do, you know, I want to be with the kids and, you know, do all that. So I just feel like that next year, you know, I probably paired it back by a week, you know, and then each year I try to get a little more. You know, I want to learn, right? I want to improve my craft. I want to be a little more tactful about it each each year, you know, because if I'm hunting less but I'm still having success or having quality experiences at least, you know, that, that means at least I'm learning from what I'm seeing. You know? Right. So. Right. So let me ask you this. Is it just bow hunting? Because for me, like, you know, I talk, we, I talk about the deer season like I only – you know, I only do things from October to October, November, when we all know that for, for me this year, I feel like I tested my wife and I think, you know, we had help from family, but elk hunt, September, uh, mule, mule deer hunt, October. And then two weeks later two you know, a week and a half, two weeks later, here I am, uh, starting my rut vacation. And that was 14, 15 days and, uh, come home, you know, and then, it's Christmas and, and, or, you know, all, you know, all the activities. And then, then I went away for four days for the ATA show. And a lot of this is because of, you know, I'm in, I'm in the, this is my business type thing right now. So I'm learning one thing that I need to do a better job of is tell my wife, you know, like, listen, this helps me make money now. And I think when I can communicate with her doing some of that or uh you know uh you know try to educate her on times of year like okay well this is the best time or uh, and one thing that was really cool this year was i was watching tv and uh, we were both watching the news and she's like and the guy goes well it's uh mid-october and there is a 20 degree temperature drop coming so you know bundle up for school and make sure the kids have stocking caps and she goes 20 degrees uh cold fronts coming through are you going to go hunting this weekend and i'm like i am so proud of you that you picked that up (laughs) that i am yeah i'm not going to go hunting this weekend you know and and, uh i hung out with the family (laughs) instead but it was cool that what i've been trying to do over the last years is kind of paying off in you know, not just not just saying, "Hey, I'm going to go hunting now," but walk talk right. to her about important times and what I'll be doing and how I'm doing it. So, after that first year, you started being a little bit more open. Does she, does your wife now kind of communicate back to you and say, "Hey, you should probably go hunting. There's a cold front coming," or have you even included your wife into hunting at all? Uh. Well, so I, I have managed to get her out there with me a couple of times uh, over the eight years. So not a whole heck of a lot. I'm still working on it, though. Right. Um, 
I, I would say that our communication certainly is vast and, you know, vastly improved. Like most times now, right, for the last couple of years, I'll sit down and I usually identify a couple of dates early in the spring. And I'm like, hey, so I'll certainly hunt a few weekends here and there. But, you know, these days I'm going to take these days and then I'll tie that with this. And then, you know, right, because right. that's what I'll be driving hard to punch a tag and this and that. And, you know, certainly like if I know, you know, in the sea, in season, I try to give her, you know, a few days notice too, right? Because she just started a new job, and so she's, you know, there's a lot more than just now. Like, well, you know, because for a while there, right, she was home with all of them, and so now she's got more irons in the fire too. So I need to kind of watch what I'm doing, you know, make sure it works for everybody. Yeah. Um. So, but yeah, I mean, I would say our communication, you know, to you know, to your point, it's like earlier, man, it would just, it'd be like, well, it's. It's October, November, or December, and if I'm not working, I'll be there. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it was all about getting up, getting up, uh, getting out there and trying to punch my tags, you know? So, right. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, I mean, things have certainly progressed a long, a long way on that front. And right. I feel like I do have a good shot of, of getting it out there, so I'll keep working. Yeah, absolutely. So let me ask you this. When I was working that cubicle life, I got roughly four and a half to five weeks of vacation because I, before I got laid off, I had been working there just under 10 years. And I think it was, yeah, right around 10 years, I think. So I got, I, you know, and I, I had that, that uh, big corporate job. So I got a lot of vacation time uh, because I had been putting in my time four and a half weeks. And I typically dedicated about a week of that to anything that the family wanted to do, right? I had some sick time that I dedicated towards if the kids were sick, my wife needed to go to work. And then I had roughly three weeks there that I would save just for, you know, November or a, awesome. a Western trip. So what is, right. what's your PTO breakdown? Yeah, so... Uh, you know, so I get roughly in there too. Um, but honestly, like since, uh, you know, my son, you know, it seems like, right. I know you, I've seen, uh, I watch, I watch most of your Instagram stories there. So I know that, you know, you deal with a lot of the, the same, I think our kids are actually about the same ages, but, uh, a lot, you know, sickness and yeah. this, that, and the other thing. So there's actually quite a few days, you know, that I end up using for things like that. And so, Honestly, Dan, the last few years, I've just used a week in total. You yeah. know, so what I'll do, I'll just try to take it, you know, I'll try to tie a couple long weekends together, you know what I mean? So yeah. that, that, that'll usually, you know, I'll usually tie one for later, like the third or fourth week of October, and then one for, you know, middle of, middle of November. So gotcha. try to do two long weekends there and then just hope to, hope to heck I can make it happen. Gotcha. So, Gotcha. Yeah. And that's tough. But again, that's more realistic what you're doing, I feel, to the the general hunting population than a guy like me who's taken, you know, a week for a Western hunt and a week, uh, you know, two weeks for November. Like that to me just seems unrealistic compared to what I would, what I would talk to, you know, talk to other people. So I think what, what you're doing is a lot more realistic to, I guess the, the majority of, of guys who would love to hunt the rut. Yeah. 
Yeah, and 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 that is one thing, you know, because certainly I have friends that hunt too, and uh, or people that used to, and that is one thing that you know sometimes I try to, you know, it's a little bit of a coaching moment I feel, you know, because yeah. I would say that I certainly don't have the time that I used to have, but uh, you know I always get, you know, we'll be talking hunting and guys will say, well I just don't have time to do that anymore, but I guess you just have more time than I do. Yeah, I kind of get a little, you know, I I I don't let it. I don't let it get through, but it's, it's like, Hey, you know, you, right. We can still make time to get out there in the woods occasionally. You know, it's, it's not like, you know, most people are sitting here with weeks and weeks off, but you know, if you prioritize it, maybe you can get a long weekend here or one day off there. Right. You know, if you can get a day during the middle of the week, if you hunt primarily public, like I do a day during the middle of the week is gold, you yeah. know? So that's when, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, buddy, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, that's, that, that's your hot ticket days for yeah. public. So it's like, and those are high demand days for most jobs. Everybody wants weekends off, right. you know? So that's, that's something I try to let people know. Like it's easier to get time off from your job too during the week than it is on a, you know, a Friday or a Monday. Right. So. That makes a lot of sense, dude. That makes a lot of sense. So I want to talk to you. Uh, you mentioned, you know, here, here you are, you live in Iowa and you just said that you hunt a majority of public ground. I want to talk about that because Iowa is 2%, roughly 2% for um, the public ground. I think it's it might just be 2%, if not under 2% public ground. It's really close. Yeah. Yep. So let me ask you this. When Have you always been a public land hunter or have you – did when you jumped in in uh, 2012 is that when you started hunting public yeah so in in uh 2000 there you know so i got this year well then you know i thought well i'd like to hunt and i'm, I'm not sure where to do that at well there was like this little 50 acre piece of uh, public ground that was about five minutes from where i lived it, and uh i thought well heck you know how hard can it be because you know i had this rose rose colored glasses view of deer hunting since i just shot a big one at 15 year old so i rolled down the road i walked in i found a trail uh i sat down on that trail then opening morning of early muzzleloader and a 13 pointer came by i shot it it ran and fell 50 yards from my vehicle in the parking lot i kid you not oh you gotta so, be kidding me i kid you not man 50 acre feet and it's one of the best year i've taken and i was i just thought well this this is easy thing, you know this isn't that big of a deal i don't know what a big deal out of this well, you know, and then, of course, you know, I, I went on the struggle bus for the four years after that, you know, just trying to realize that I didn't really know much about hunting. That's um, crazy. I've killed maybe, I think, I've been able to take maybe three deer off of private land, and that's about the only times I've ever really hunted private. Right. And uh, so over the, you know, the, you know, 20 years, 19, 20 years here I've hunted, I've hunted all public. And yeah. uh, that's... You know, I've kind of got to the place now, Dan, where it's, uh, you know, I a lot of my friends have primetime, you know, property there. And uh, not, I say a lot, a couple of them have primetime property there in southeast Iowa, you know, God's country for big bucks. And, uh, you know, they're very generous about offering me to come down and whatnot. Um, and I, there are some good public pieces there nearby. And it's just, I tell you, man, it's hard for me to hunt private a whole lot anymore. I'm just kind of addicted to the you know, it's, it is a struggle bus sometimes, but it's like when you, you know, when you can score on a decent, like representative animal, woo, it feels like you just won the Super Bowl. Right. You know? Right. 
Man, that's crazy. And to your point, there really isn't a whole heck of a lot of it. And sometimes, you know, like you just get walked, you're, you know, your sets get blown up or, you know, you're, you know, you're really at the mercy. It's just about trying to hunt off pressure spots, like you said, you know, or during the week, you know, during the week is gold. So, right. So I want to, I want you to talk a little bit about your public land experiences, uh, just to, you know, I hunt public, I would say 10% to 90% or maybe 10 to 20% to 90, 80, 90% uh, private, just because, I mean, that's what I've done. I, there's so, there's so little private or public ground where I grew up and started hunting that I just became comfortable with being able to go knock on a door and hear the word no. I'd say, okay, well, I'll just go to the next farm. Knock, knock. Which no. is a skill, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll be honest with you. It's something that I think I'm, I'm pretty good at is being able to. And I'm not saying weasel my way into, but you know, educate the farmer that hey, I'm a bow hunter. I'll treat your uh, property with respect. And then uh, you know, back in the day, it's 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 getting very hard now. But back in the day, you know, I would say I'd, I'd have a fifty percent success rate. Uh, and now it's more like 10% just because, you know, everybody knows everybody that hunts a piece of property, that piece of property. Right. Right. So what, what is hunting on Iowa public ground? Like there's a lot I would like to talk about there. Uh, so it just, um, you know, I feel like hunting public in Iowa. So I always like it. I can't remember the gentleman that you had on your podcast. And, uh, you know, he does a lot of out of state hunts and, uh, you know, you guys got, it was been maybe two, three months ago. You guys got talking about public in Iowa. And he mentioned that he feels that there are better places than hunting public in Iowa just because of the pressure. But, um, so, you know, I, I do feel like that, um, you know, Iowa does have some pretty decent age, age class deer on public, you know, on public, uh, you know, and when I say that, I feel like most places that I hunt, if you kind of have to strain your eye to see if it's possibly a Pope and Young, I feel that that's a good representative animal, you know, for the area. Uh, you know, but, um, you know, you can have good and you can have kind of really crappy experiences, you know, depending on the, you know, there's a, there's a lot of early years there where I kind of learned, you know, I had to learn some hard, some hard learned lessons there as far as, you know, I did all this stuff, and then so-and-so will run in right at daylight and put up their tree stand right next to me when I've been here for an hour waiting it out. Or, you know, like maybe, you know, my cameras got stolen. I wanted to do trail cameras that get stolen. Or, you know, just kind of working through those things, understanding, like, you know, if I'm hunting where other people are walking through my areas a lot, I'm either hunting at the wrong times or the wrong places. Um, you know, so really at this point, you know, hunting public land for me in Iowa, I – I think we do have some beautiful countryside here. You know, we have a lot of 200 acre and under parcels, you know, that I I feel like can be productive. I mean, several of my better deer I've killed on small pieces of property, but, but, uh, you know, you just got to be real tactful. And, you know, one of the things that I feel like helped me is, uh, you know, well, I can get into that more later, but, but, uh, you know, I feel like that, you know, it can be really rewarding, you know, or it can kind of rip your heart out sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But, but, you know, I mean, I feel like if you get a decent animal in public that, 
you know, or even in here in Iowa, I know everybody talks about it like there's a booner behind every tree, but you know, you're, you're fighting against uh, the odds and, you know, you got to walk it out and then, you know, everybody else has tried to get one too. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, with, you know, I hear a lot of guys from Michigan, Pennsylvania, New York, you know, talk a lot about, um, hunting high pressured pieces of property on, you know, thousand acres here and there. And you mentioned something that's really interesting was 200 acres or under. And I know that there are some of those pieces around where I live, where it's just, you know, like 200 acres there, but they are not, they're not like a big chunk of timber. It's not like a primo farm. It is right. a block of timber and then maybe 80 acres or 90 acres of it in CRP, which, you know, necess- isn't necessarily a huge benefit for, I mean, it, it, deer bed in CRP. Don't get me wrong. It's a great habitat. But I just feel like, all number one. Hard to hunt, though. Yeah, it's hard to hunt. And you're not the only guy hunting there. So I'm Absolutely. not going to say it's it's the same but i would say it's close to hunting you know i've never hunted michigan i've never hunted pennsylvania but when you take a low you know obviously there's a lower population in the state of iowa of people who hunt but we also have way less public ground than any other state i think it it balances out as far as it being equally as difficult to hunt public ground Speaking, you know, certainly I've never hunted Michigan either. I've listened to, you know, Mark talk about it, or I, I watch a lot of videos there with John Eberhardt. And, uh, you know, so I, I, I try to I try to understand, you know, what it is that they're talking about. But I'm telling you, so it's, you know, so around, oh, I don't know, I can be to several 200-acre or under pieces uh, within 10, 15 minutes of where I live. And then the places where, you know, you'll get your big, you know, for Iowa, it's called Big Woods, but... You know, those are probably an hour, hour and a half away from me. And uh, I I just, you know, I've learned to hunt the small pieces um, with some success, but that has to be done very carefully or it'll just be, you know, you'll just be, you'll just be face planting a wall because, yeah. you know, everybody, right, everybody's going to hunt there, right, or, you know, they're going to, you know, they're going to run through it. They're going to walk their dog. They'll see your truck and come start yelling or something. I mean, I've had everything happen. And I just feel like that uh, even some good spots I found that it's like this is going to be tough to get to, which are the ones you want to find. You know, I've been even surprised that then, you know, it's like mid-November, you don't even want to be near there because it's covered up with people. Yeah. And they're all rattling and grunting every five minutes, So <laughs> it's, uh, it's, <laughs> which is frustrating sometimes. But, right. You know, so I definitely feel like that for the amount of public that we have, Dan, I feel like that Iowa – you know, as far as public health, like, it's definitely something of a high-pressure state. I mean, I know those other guys have more hunters, but they also yeah. have sprawling hundreds of thousands of acres to hunt because I've looked up a few of those states, the amount of public they have, like Michigan, yeah. and they do have some big chunks, you know. So right. we're not right. really sitting here with that so much in Iowa. So right. I feel like we're right in there. Yeah. And uh, I'll, and right now, all these people from Michigan are and Pennsylvania are being like, "You pricks! You guys are assholes! <laughs> like, no way you can compare it." And I'll be honest with you, I probably would not go and hunt any other state if I had to choose between Iowa and you know whatever. I you know something about your home state that just makes it 
you know, it makes it something special. So, right, yeah. I mean, if I'm going to hunt heavily pressured land, I'd like to at least hunt heavily pressured land on my own turf, you right. know, on my own home field. So right. at least, and I'm certainly not disparaging those two states. You know, I I think from everything I've read, I think those guys have to ground, you know, have to really ground a pound in order to get their animals. Oh, yeah. uh, I just don't feel like that Iowa's so far away. From you know removed from that yeah yeah all right so i do want to talk to you a little bit about you know some strategy and some tactics because you mentioned that hunting public is really rewarding on the back end if you can get the job done so over the years you know you said you started taking everything real serious in 2012 over the years whether you are you know using your muzzleloader or using your bow or even a shotgun on public what are some of the uh, biggest learning experiences that you've had that have helped you become more successful um, since 2012? Like takeaways. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. So, you know, so one, so certainly, you know, just coming into hunting and then all of a sudden, you know, I just, you know, to me, they seemed average, right? I just happened to take two really good deer. Uh, right. You know, and one of those was on public and it was a 50 acre piece, you know, and then I was sitting here like, oh, this is the easiest thing. Uh, so, you know, then I, you know, once I got in learning my lessons the hard way and getting lost and following creeks and doing all that crazy. So, you know, so then I just kind of started to, you know, I, once I really started getting into it, you know, with the bow, you know, there uh, I, I shot, you know, I was able to shoot three deer off the ground uh, on public, you know, my first year at the bow. And so that got me really pumped, you know, I was like, oh, I'm awesome, I can do this, and yada, yada, yada. Well, you know, then it's like, you know, I want to progress, right? I want to shoot a little bit older deer. Or then I start realizing that, you know, the spots I'm hunting, I I can I can find spots where, you know, there's deer there. That's no problem. And I can find those in spades, you know. And so I started realizing that a few, two or three hunting seasons passed me by, and I'm like, I'm just not, you know, I'm not, I'm not seeing the deer. I just keep expecting them to be there, and they're not. You know, the decent, decent age class deer, and uh, you know, so that that took a lot of soul searching. You know, like that was tough. So you uh, were trying. To, sorry to interrupt, but you were. Nope. You 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 made the the change, or internally you said, I want to shoot a an older age class deer, but you didn't do any of the necessary groundwork or change your strategy to get to no, them you just went not. back to the same spot and accept uh, just expected yep. a bigger deer to walk by yes yeah you know i got out there i thought well i've killed all these deer you know i've killed more deer than lyme disease yeah so i'm gonna be able to <laughs> yeah you know i'm gonna you know there's gonna be a big buck here on it november and then i'll you know i'll get him and uh you know a couple years went by and then you know i shot a i shot a decent eight pointer that i was pretty proud of well then you know, I was sitting there, and yeah, I think it was, it was December, and I had a doe tag in my pocket, and uh, the same area where I shot that eight pointer, well, a big ten pointer, tried to walk right down a trail that I was sitting on, and uh, you know, and I sit there and just watched him. He got like within five yards of me, and I, I just thought, this is insane, you know, like why am I not seeing this deer earlier? And then I kind of, you know, I start trying to do the, you know, the rework loop there and figure out what it is that I'm missing. And then uh, I, I think it was that summer, it would have been maybe, I think it was 2016, maybe maybe it was the fall of 16 after the season. That's when I listened to, uh, you know, I'd been listening to the Wire to Hunt for a little bit, 
and then uh, you and Mark had on, it was episode 150, I remember it clearly, had on Joe Elsinger, and you guys talked about with him, you know, how was he successful, and I remember a lot of your questions, you know, were centered around, hey, how are you so efficient hunting? And he was like, well, you know, I don't, he talked at length, right, about, you know, he doesn't hunt just deer spots, right? He hunts spots where he's trying to kill the X animal and whatever. And so I just kept thinking about that, like, you know, I'm, I'm hunting for deer. I'm not, you know, I'm not hunting for, you know, larger animals. So, you know, just trying to get right about that. Then I got on X, right? So I started kind of looking at terrain features a lot more and uh, started trying to soak everything up start trying to put together some historical data like where have we seen good deer the deer that i have killed you know where have they been and so kind of just coming around to some you know some eye-opening you know it's like you know sure a deer may walk through that ditch once a year right but where is he walking through all the time right so right. it's like just trying to hunt a little differently from somebody that you know i guess maybe it's we the transition we make from being a casual hunter that maybe thinks that we're good at deer hunting but then really Right. Once we really dial in, we realize that I got a long way to go. Right. So. Yeah. Makes sense. So public, you know, from a, from a strictly strategy standpoint now, what would you say is the most important strategic part of your season? Most important part is probably, you know, my, I do my, I, I really feel like it's a cyber scouting that I do, you know, as soon as the season is over, I start doing that. I'm doing it right now. Um, you know, I, I identify multiple places. You know, I my rule is if it makes me, you know, when I see what I think is a might be a good spot, it's, if I say, oof, that's going to be hard to get to. Yeah. You know, if I see that and I see some terrain feature or terrain dump or something that makes me feel like, that is somewhere that's going to be harder to get to that an older deer is going to want to go there. You know, it's going to want to spend some time there. I feel like that just identifying those places, you know, and then, you know, before green up, right, I'll go and at least try to hit that place once or twice. Uh, I try to do a couple of new places every year, find a couple of new spots just to look at sign and say, Hey, you know, was there activity here? Is there any big old rubs, you know, anything like that? Can I see, you know, is this hard to get to? Is there water? And I just feel like, you know, really, it's just about finding, for me, sure, I've killed a couple close to the road, but, you know, most of it, right, I need to find on a map. I need to identify, right, because, you know, with the kids, it's very important, you know, for me not, I have to utilize all my time out there. So I can't just go out there wandering around anymore. So I need to identify the places on maps that look like they're either going to funnel deer, you know, there's water that isolates something, maybe it goes uh, parallel to a food source, and it has water, like the deer I was able to shoot off public this year, you know, it's like it was just a sliver. It's off a three-acre piece that kind of slivers off from the main part there, but it funnels all the deer down to like a 50-acre, you know, a 50-acre spot, or not 50-acre, a 50-yard spot, so a guy can get a stand in there mobile, you know, and maybe that breaks them all down. So I, I really think it comes down to the cyber scouting, so you can identify possible places, and then you just have to go follow up on those, you know, before you get into the season yeah so um you put you do your digital scouting and then when you find something that sounds really or uh you you find something that looks really good on a map then you go put boots on the ground 
Absolutely. Okay. Yep. I yeah. just did that here a couple weeks back too. Once the once the the shotgun season was over. Yeah. So. That is definitely my next. It's actually on a whiteboard in my office that says postseason scouting, and now we have all this wet. You know, we have all this uh, or the snow. I actually really want to get outside now and uh, do some scouting. Uh, and I think that this time of year, if there's snow on the ground or all the vegetation is off the trees, it really can. Right. It really gives you the advantage to find to see how the deer are using using specific terrain once you find it on a map. So I think so too. I really do. I yeah. think it's very good. So, how did? your 2019 season go because you sent me some pictures of some really good deer i want you to uh uh, let's talk about one of your favorite hunts from 2019 oh well that you know that'd probably be the the hunt there where i got my bow deer off public uh you know the deer i shot with the gun maybe was a little bigger but i think i you know the hunt there for my bow deer was a little more rewarding you know as far as just all the hard work i had to put into it so uh, so there's a spot that I've hunted a few times. Um, you know, I've been back in there. I progressively hunted around the area closer and closer over the last couple of years. And then this time, you know, I decided, hey, you know, I want to jump up in there and cross this water. And uh, I know it's going to be good. So I'd actually, um, you know, I'd hunted there twice from October 1 to November 14th. Uh, right. So I've been there twice. Well, then I uh, decided to move down farther a couple hundred yards away so because it was a little closer to this funnel. It funneled down from, you know, 125 yards down to about 40. Okay. And it had an open crop field on one side and then, a, a you know, a pretty significantly steep creek on the other side. So anyway, so I got, you know, I started, started, uh, started packing in there in the morning. And uh, the morning started out a little funny uh, because – there's this log that I step across to get across this creek. Usually the water's only about knee deep anyway, but while I was about across and uh, it was about 20 degrees that morning, you know, November 14th, and uh, I kind of started to lose my balance. So I thought, well, I'll just step down on the water. And when I did, I stepped in a hole and uh, <laughs> I I went up to my waist in the, in the water. So I quick got out of there, you know, trying not to. So I stood there for about five minutes on the other side thinking, Okay, I'm soaking wet. It's freezing. You know, like, should I just walk on back to the truck? And I thought, well, you know what? I'm already on this side of the creek. I'm already wet, so I'm just going to do it. So I hiked in there, you know. I was getting a little cold, but I thought, well, you know, as long as I keep moving. So I got back in there. I got, you know, my little wolf hung up and everything. Um, I started seeing deer right away uh, in the morning, so I thought, well, that's good. You know, I saw a couple smaller bucks and then a doe. Um I did a rattling sequence at about nine because I was starting to get real cold, you know, from being wet. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, out of the corner of my eye, I saw there was a buck about 30 yards, you know, directly over my left shoulder, and I'm right-handed. So I quick grabbed my bow, you know, I turned while the wind was blowing back his direction, and, uh, you know, he kind of had his nose up a little bit. Well, I pulled, you know, I had him. I thought he stood still, but he was getting ready to roll on, so I took the shot. And uh, there was a branch right there, and I just smoked that branch real uh. good. And it was tough, man, you know, because I, I had a hard time getting on to quality deer last year. I hadn't seen a whole lot of them. I'd seen him once, and uh, I just moved closer to where I thought he was coming from. But 
So he rolled on, and uh, I got down. I got my arrow. You know, it was quarter after nine, and I thought, man, you know, I almost left again. I was cold, but I thought, well, I told I told the wife, you know, and I told myself I was going to hunt all day today, do an all-day sit. I still got coffee left, so I thought, well, I'm just going to climb back up. So I got back up there, and uh, at 10 o'clock, you know, I did another rattling sequence. Well, I was texting my buddy about fantasy football trades. Uh, <laughs> I had my bow sitting on the holder, you know, and I was texting him about he wanted to make a trade with me. And uh, all, of a, all of a sudden, you know, in the corner of my eye, that same deer, he was trotting right back 20 yards in front of me off to my left, but he was going to pass right in front of me. So I thought, oh, crap, you know, so I quick put my phone down. I, I damn near dropped it out of the tree. And uh, I picked up my bow, you know, it was my first year trying to use a, uh, oh, a, uh, oh, the camera. I can't remember the name. A Tacticam? So I get a, yeah, a Tacticam. So I, I, I pushed that on. I was shaking. I got pulled back, and then the deer just stopped, just perfectly broadside, about 20 yards from me. And, uh, you know, I was able to make a good shot on him. It was a pass-through. And then he just he just kept – he just walked on in front of me like it never happened. And then pretty soon, you know, he took off. Once I think it, it dawned on him that he was running out of air. So – uh, I was able to climb down then, you know, easy track job. I was able to find him. It did take me four hours to pull him out. But, uh, but you know, I was about a mile back there in public, so it was a little a little far back. But Man. That, yeah, it worked out really good, though. You know, I mean, that was, you know, maybe not the biggest deer I've killed, but I was happy to get him. I felt like he was a good animal for the area. And, uh, you know, it felt good putting that work in. Plus, you know, I mean, just to be straight, I almost tapped out when I fell in that creek up to my waist <laughs> yeah. when it was 20 degrees. Man. That was a tough one. I, I tell you but what. Yeah, man, it worked out good. So. That, that's nuts because I've I've gotten one foot wet falling through a creek or some ice in a creek one year on the way back to a, a tree stand. And I toughed it out, but I bitched and complained and damn near gave myself uh, frostbite trying to do oh, it oh it's miserable oh man yeah. it sucks and uh, it, uh, it I, is it just uh and, and i've been wet up to my knees shed hunting but at least you get a move right here you're sitting right. in a tree stand Absolutely. and you're not doing anything <laughs> oh yeah i can't stand it up and i sit down stand up sit down try to drink coffee you know whatever yeah so, yeah but well joe uh, sounds first off, congratulations on last year because you shot you got a muzzleloader buck too last year. Uh, no, that 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 was a, a shotgun deer actually. Oh, shotgun. So, okay, so yep, you got a, yep. a shotgun, a good shotgun buck. You got your uh, public land bow buck. It sounds to me like you are not going to be giving up hunting every anytime soon. So I don't think so. <laughs> congratulations, man, and uh, I really appreciate you taking time to hop on the podcast. Hey, thanks, man. I love your show, so I appreciate you talking to me. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, another Nine Finger Chronicles podcast delivered and flushed down the toilet. <laughs> Huge shout out to my man, Joe. Really appreciate your support and really appreciate uh, 
you know, you taking time to go do this. I know you were sitting in your car at a park in this cold ass weather because your house was loud. And I really appreciate that. Huge shout out to all the partners of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, Vortex Optics, Lone Wolf, Wasp, Ozonics, Prime, and now the Average Conservationist. Please go out and support the companies that support these podcasts. And I'll tell you what, man, uh, they do a really good job of whatever it is that they do, right? Um, Again, please go out and support them. Other than that, please support conservation, right? And you can do that by, again, uh, buying a t-shirt or a hat from the average conservationist. You can do that by volunteering your time. You can do that by writing a check. And I'm going to be asking a lot more of you guys as the summer kind of gets closer here. And we really need to focus about the future of hunting. And I think you can do that through uh, mentorships. You can do that through conservation. And you can do that from just shedding a positive light on hunting. So, Let's uh, end this episode and we will talk to you later.